So we're going to be in Acts chapter 8 today. When we left off, um, we left off with Philip who left Jerusalem. Remember, they had picked seven of um, these disciples. They chose seven disciples to do the administration of the church. We have that here. Not, not seven disciples, but we have people that are working in the church as volunteers. Everyone is a volunteer. And we have people working in the church as a volunteer. There's only one person paid in the church, and it's not me. And we all volunteer our time so that we can accomplish what needs to be done within the church. I am blessed to have people that want to serve the Lord. It's not serving the church. It's not serving me. It's serving the Lord. And we do it by serving each other. That's what the Bible tells us to do. Minister one to another. Minister gifts one to another. And be part of the church. And that's what we're doing. We're loving each other and demonstrating God's love through interacting with each other, through helping each other, through blessing each other, through doing hospitality, cleaning up after service, and doing sound, and taking care of those things. Things that need to be done that I can't do by myself, that Cheryl can't do by herself. We then have a group of people that uh, help us out. We're grateful for every volunteer, everyone who wants to serve. Philip was one of those that wanted to serve. They looked for characteristics of people that wanted to serve. And they found seven people, seven leaders, seven men that were going to lead. So the apostles could do what they were called to do. Pray, teach, minister, but there still needed to be people to manage the other parts of the early church. And that's what Philip was doing. He was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Now, at this point, Paul um, got a little crazy. After the stoning of Stephen, Paul said, hey, I'm going to go and start killing these Christians. It looks like a good thing to do. I'm going to arrest them and I'm going to have them put to death. And so he started doing that, and everyone fled Jerusalem except for the apostles. They stayed there, and everyone else fled Jerusalem. We can look that as that as a bad thing. Oh, look, it's, it's persecution. Oh, it's so bad. And it is when you're being persecuted, right? It, it, it's never a good time. Oh, can't wait to go get persecuted. No one's really thinking of that, but... Because of the persecution, they all fled and it caused the word of God to spread. You see, Jesus said, hey, go Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, right? And, and so that's where everything, everybody, and everybody was hanging out in Jerusalem. Because, hey, that, that's where the temple was. That's where all the other believers were. And God used the person. Now, I'm not saying God caused the persecution. Please don't get confused in that. God didn't cause the persecution, but he used it 
as a way to get the guys out of town and go do something else. Go somewhere else. Go bring the word. Wherever they went, they were bringing the word with them. Philip, he went to Samaria. Jews don't go to Samaria. It's just not a place you go. As a matter of fact, the Jews, when they were going to go to Galilee, which was north of Samaria, they would go around Samaria. It, they would add an extra day, day and a half to their trip so that they wouldn't have to go through Samaria. And they would go around it and go up. So Philip decides, I'm going to go to Samaria. I'm going to go. Now, I'm, I believe he was led by the Spirit to go to Samaria. And he did. And he went there and they got saved. They were getting saved. And, and even the apostles came and checked it out and said, oh, wow, they're getting saved. Let's baptize them. You know, oh, look, they're receiving the Holy Spirit. How awesome. And so this was what was happening in Philip's life. He was just an instrument of God being used to do whatever God wanted him to do. He was preaching and they were getting saved. Now he's going to get some instructions from an angel. Today's message is titled, Believe with All Your Heart. And we resume our study in Acts chapter 8 with verse 26, where we read, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. And so Philip now receives this word from an angel. Notice that we didn't hear that it was an angel in bright shining garments and, you know, and he came and, and he fell down before the angel of... no. It was an angel that came and said, Philip, I want you to go down to Gaza. And Philip was like, okay, I'm going. We don't know. We, we picture angels with these big wings and everything. And, and, you know, I personally haven't seen an angel, I don't think. Let me, let me just say that. I don't think I have. But we're told in Hebrews chapter 13 that we may entertain an angel unaware that it is an angel. And so if that's the case, I could have entertained many angels. They like Italian food. And, and my wife makes great Italian food. And, and so there was probably angels at our home at some point. You know, but... I just want to, I want to shed uh, a, a myth that when people die, they can become angels. You don't become angels. When you become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and receive the Holy Spirit into your life, you become a saint. A saint. You don't have to wait for sainthood from some religion to say, okay, well, this is a saint because they did these certain things. No. You received the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a saint. Everyone else ain't. <laughs> so here are the saints. They're going to heaven. And they're still on earth. They're still saints. That doesn't mean a saint is perfect. That doesn't mean a saint is sin free. We still sin from time to time. You know. And hopefully it's less than we used to. Right? Right? 
That's our goal. Sin less than we used to. Philip is one of those people that was filled with the Holy Spirit and then on fire for the Lord. He goes out and he's spreading the gospel. People are getting saved. And now the angel can see he's faithful to do what God has called him to do. So the angel says, go down to Gaza. By way of Jerusalem, there's a road that goes down to Gaza. It is desert. It's desert out there. Meaning there's not much to do along the way until you get to Gaza. Gaza is on the coast of the Mediterranean, southwest of Jerusalem. And so that's where he heads down to that area. He's going to be obedient to the Lord. It's a change in ministry. You see, up until that time, everyone went to the cities to go to the temple, to the synagogues, to where the fellowship was of the saints. But now he's being sent to the desert, to the highways and byways. He's being sent away from the center of attention where people are and out into the wilderness. And he goes. And this is one of those times where persecution had a positive impact. Philip is going now wherever the Lord is leading him. Verse 27. And so he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot as he was reading Isaiah the prophet. And so here's a eunuch. He is a man. Now we don't know if he's a eunuch because he was made a eunuch or chose to be a eunuch at that time. There were both options uh, were taking place. But Candace was the queen then of the Ethiopians. This is not the current day Ethiopia. This area was where Sudan is today. This is the area of Cush. And so Candace was the queen. Who was the king? There is no king. Candace was not a name. It was a title. And from about 300 BC to 320 AD, about 700 years actually, I think it was 350 BC, uh, there were queens that ruled Ethiopia. There were these women who ruled Ethiopia, and, and these women were tough. Some of them were really bad. As a matter of fact, when, when um, Alexander the Great went down and he was conquering the world, that was the area he had the most problem with. Because the Candace that was running Ethiopia at that time, she was a brilliant warfield strategician, uh, whatever. Uh, it, she was magnificent. And she was a military um, expert when it came to fighting battles. And she actually pushed Alexander back when he came down and attacked that area. So um, that's pretty impressive. Everybody thought, oh, well, he conquered the whole world and he didn't. No, he had trouble. And it was with the woman that was leading Ethiopia at the time. So 
Here's this eunuch. He obviously, now a reason why they had eunuchs in the upper management of the countries was so that they didn't get physically involved with the women that were in, you know, the king's wives and, uh, and all of that. They were not in, involved in that way. So it was a lot safer to have a eunuch in those positions than to have someone that was interested in the opposite sex. And so here's this eunuch. He has control of her treasury. So she's the queen of all Ethiopia. And they were very, very, very wealthy. Ethiopia was not a poor country. It was a very wealthy country. They had lots of money because uh, of the mineral spices, because of the trades. They were known for their metalworking that they had in Ethiopia. So uh, they were um, top end uh, of the food chain there in the countries that were in that area. They were at the top. And he was in charge of the treasury. So that tells us he was an important guy. He uh, just wasn't someone that uh, was filling a position. He didn't just have a role because uh, he uh, was the right person for the role. He wa was very good with his money. He was sitting in his chariot and he was reading Isaiah the prophet. So why was he doing that? Well, he had just come from Jerusalem. He was probably a convert to Judaism and here he is going home after the Passover, after all of the feasts. And he's heading home now on his chariot. And, and the chariots, this isn't like one of those little chariots that you're standing. This is a big thing that um, he has. It might not even have been horse driven. It may have been human carrying um, this type of chariot as it was heading um, down the road there. And Philip was told, go down there. Go down to meet with who this is. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. Well, you know, this is like running alongside the presidential limo. <laughs> you know? All right, now go overtake that chariot. Hold, hold on. Uh, can I get a second opinion? You know, but Philip didn't question this. Notice the first time he was sent, he was sent by an angel. Who sent him this time? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit said to him, go and overtake the chariot. And so Philip at this point, he hasn't gotten the whole picture. He doesn't know what he's going to do when he overtakes the chariot. He doesn't know what he was supposed to do when he left Samaria to go down to Gaza. Sometimes we can get instructions and then we want to hear the rest of the story. We want the big picture before we want to start out. All right, Lord, if you're sending me there, what are you going to do with me once I get there? If I would have had the big picture about coming up here to Fountain Hills, I may not have come. <laughs> I may have said, what? You want what? 
what's going to happen the first three years? You know, I, I you know, I, I may have said, you know what, I'm really happy down here in Queen Creek. Everything's growing and, you know, everything's exploding down here, you know, and, and you know, we have a nice home. We have grass. We had grass. Real, real grass. And, and you know, I may have thought, you know, but, but when you're called by the Lord to do something, you just do it. And then you wait to see what's going to happen. Because I've never been told to do anything by the Lord that wasn't great. That didn't turn out really good. Oh, that doesn't mean it was great all the time. Because you got to learn during the, the phases where you're being obedient. There has to be some lessons that you have to learn. Philip had to walk from Samaria down to Gaza through the desert. I mean, I'm sure that wasn't what he was thinking of doing. But, you know, oh, gee, Lord, can't you give me a spot in Capernaum on the water? You know, oh, the sun rises up over the Sea of Galilee. It's so beautiful there. You know, you go there today, nice hotels right there. You can walk. Oh, it's gorgeous. Can't, can I, I, no, no. You are going to go through the desert. And Philip is just doing what he's told to do. He's being obedient. Go and overtake this chariot. And so Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. So here he runs up on this chariot where this guy is reading from Isaiah. And, and obviously he was reading out loud. You know, when we read, generally we read quietly because we're just taking it in. We're, I encourage you when, when it's not going to bother anyone, um, read out loud. It gives you a different perspective about what's... You'll notice that as you're reading out loud, all of a sudden your voice will change with the inflection of the writing of the scripture. It won't just be in your head. It will actually... You'll start reading it and you'll start to put a voice to what you're reading. When you get to the female parts, you'll start talking higher. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it, it's the fact that when you're reading the scriptures, it will start going into your ear. Not just in your mind, but it will actually come into your ears. It will make a difference. This gentleman was riding on the chariot and he was reading out loud from Isaiah. And Philip runs alongside and said, do you understand what you are reading? You know, and since this guy is, you know, below the queen, he's high up there. You know, this would have been the time where he could have just said, hey, guys, go stab that guy for me. Go, go beat him up. Because he has a whole entourage with him as he's traveling. 
But he obviously, his heart was softened the same way that Philip knew to go down to Gaza, go down this road, the same way he knew that this man was riding on this chariot and the Holy Spirit had softened his heart. He had just spent this time up in Jerusalem at this now, can you imagine being in Jerusalem during this? They say up to a million people would come into the area for the feasts. They had three feasts. They had to be there every year. They would come and there'd be up to a million extra people in this area. So he was there for this. And can you imagine how it it was festive? It was... Interesting, all of the different um, people coming from all over the place to be there in Jerusalem. And, and so he was just as different as everyone else coming in there and fellowshipping. But can you imagine how empty it was? Because we know who was leading these ceremonies the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the very ones who were going to kill Jesus, who had killed Jesus at this point. And so there was that going on at the same time. He was probably aware of that too. But being a good Jew, he was probably a proselyte then converted to Judaism, being a good Jew, they're focused on whatever the Sadducees and Pharisees are saying, whatever the Sanhedrin tells you, whatever the priests say, whatever the scribes teach. These are the things that you pay attention to, but it's so empty. It's empty. Because you can't have a relationship with God through killing an animal. All you can do is feel some relief from your sin. Okay, well, we went through this, so I, my sins are now atoned for, and I have that little bit of relief. But you know you're going to have to do it again, because it, that doesn't last. That sacrifice was temporary. But then we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and all of our sin is wiped away. All of it is forgiven. It's cast into the lake of forgetfulness as far as the east is from west. And we are set free from our sin. It has no power over us anymore. Amazing. This is something that he wasn't experiencing because he was still trapped under the law. The burden of the law. It was too much weight for anyone to carry the law was a tutor to lead us to Christ. It was a teacher that was going to teach us that we needed a savior who can take care of the problem of sin. And that's who the Messiah is. That's who these guys were supposed to be waiting for. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, they were all looking for the Messiah. But they missed him. And killed him. And now this 
gentleman is riding home and he is probably empty. But for some reason, he's reading from the book of Isaiah and Philip has an opportunity here and the eunuch says, how can I, in verse 31, unless someone guides me, how do I understand these things unless someone guides me? And that's true today. I'm not talking about a pastor. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. You see, there are many pastors out there that are guiding people in the wrong direction. That are leading people astray, away from the word of God. And, and so when I teach the word of God, it isn't because I tell you something that you believe it. It's because the Holy Spirit is confirming the truth in your hearts. It's the work of the Holy Spirit, not the work of the pastor. If you're following me because you like what I'm saying, then obviously you don't hear half of what I'm saying. Because a lot of what I say isn't really wonderful. It's biblical. But it's also, it, it puts obligation on us. Because we have to believe, we have to follow, we have to obey, we have to be obedient. And, and, and nobody likes that. I didn't like that from the time I was two. My mother said I started at one. But you know what? That's us. That's humans. You know? So it's not unusual. But the thing we, we really want is the truth. We really want the truth. We don't want to be led astray. This gentleman, he was like, guide me, show me. What is the truth? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the place in the scriptures where he was reading. And it says in verse 32, And he was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And so he's reading this part that we recognize as Jesus being tried and then being put to death in, in a phony trial and then crucified for not his own sin, but for our sin. Who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? And so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say of, of this, of himself or some other man? And so many people read the scriptures and then they twist them enough to where they can establish their own agenda. They can, I have heard politicians use scripture to validate something they were teaching something they believed in. 
like Roe versus Wade. I just heard a politician use scripture to support Roe versus Wade. How? I, I had to listen to it two or three times and I realized what they were saying, but what they were saying was blasphemy. And you can make scripture say whatever you want it to say as long as you don't read all of scripture. Just got to read one verse and don't read the 10 verses before the 10 verses after. Just read that one and you can make it say whatever you would like it to say. God is love. So anything we call love then is good. I love Big Macs and they are good. But you know what? If I ate Big Macs all the time, I would look like this. Okay, so now you know. I don't eat Big Macs all the time. I just have a wonderful wife that cooks for me and I eat everything. So as Philip opens his mouth, he's going to preach Jesus to him. Philip is going to tell him that this refers to Jesus. It's as simple as that. Sometimes we get um, caught up in explaining things to people, trying to tell them what the Bible says. And we think we have to be a theologian. We think we have to get in depth into, well, the Bible, you know, t says this and that and this and that. If we just stick with Jesus, um, it gets people to the point of salvation. You see, we're not saved by the Bible. The Bible records everything that we need to be saved. It's also a great instruction book on how to live. But the one thing that we need to be saved is Jesus. He is our Savior. And when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then we can be saved. Then we then we can take the Bible and guess what? The Bible isn't foolish anymore. You see, the Bible is foolishness to those that perish, but to us it is the power of God. And it's easy to read the Bible and not understand a thing it says. And that's how come so many people get the scriptures wrong. is because they're not reading it through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they're reading the Word of God um, intellectually. And they're trying to figure it out with their mind. That's what this guy was doing. He was sitting there on his chariot. You know, he just came from worshiping God. And now he, he's like trying to figure things out. And now Philip wants to go there and he wants to explain it to him. But... He starts at Jesus. There are people that are out there wanting to hear the good news. We need to start with Jesus. 
Here's how you start. Live like Jesus. Love like Jesus. Act like Jesus. And when you start there, you may not have to get into a deep conversation about Jesus because they're already going to see Jesus being lived in your life. That's not easy. It's not easy for a pastor. It's not easy for any of you. None of this is easy. It becomes easier as we live it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. As we study the word of God, as we read it, as we hear it, as we embed it into our life, it becomes easier. But it's not easy. I'll tell you why. Because the very people that we are sharing this good news with, they're sinners. They're not easy to talk to. Some of them are downright mean. Some of them are evil. And now we're going to try to share the gospel with them? I don't want to act like Jesus anymore. I want to act like Mike Tyson. <laughs> right? But that's not what we're called to do. We're called to act like Jesus. Who kept quiet. He didn't even defend himself. And he went and accomplished what he was sent to do. Die on the cross for the sins of the world. He did what none of us would. If we had the power to kill the very people who were crucifying us. If we had the power to utter one word and just have them all explode there'd be a lot of exploded people. <laughs> right? But Jesus didn't do that. The one that had the power didn't exercise the power. Instead, the love that he had for us held him to that cross until he died. For us. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So they're traveling. Hold on. Where were they? Desert. They were in the desert, remember? This is desert. Traveling down this road to Gaza, in the desert, and there just appears water by the side of the road. You usually don't have water in the desert, but there it was. Now, obviously, at some point, while Philip was teaching this eunuch, he must have shared some of John the Baptist's ministry about baptism because he said, hey, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? So he felt the urge to be baptized. For all believers, if, if you're not baptized, um, that doesn't prevent you 
from going to heaven. I know there are some teachings out there about um, being baptized. You have to be baptized to be saved. And um, that there is no validity to that because that means that Jesus died on the cross. It wasn't good enough. You had to be baptized too. So it's Jesus plus baptism that makes you saved. What happened to the thief on the cross? Did someone hose him down while he was up there so he could be baptized? I doubt it. There are many people that die without being baptized, but that are fully believers in Jesus Christ and fully saved. When Paul was in prison and his jailer had beaten him fully and he was in prison and they were singing away and gates opened and the jailer came. He was going to kill himself. Paul said, hey, don't do that. We're all here. Everything's good. And the jailer asked him, what must I do to be saved? And he said, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ you and your household can be saved. It wasn't saying just because he believed that his household would be saved. It's a personal relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. Everyone has to believe. This eunuch said, I believe, but hold on. Philip didn't ask him what he believed. And Philip didn't tell him what he had to believe. He said, if you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized, right? And the eunuch knew enough to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He knew what you had to say to believe, to say that you believe. It's more than just saying it. There are people that believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God that will never see the other side of the gates of heaven. You know, because Jesus said that there are some that are going to come to him that day, say, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do all these wonderful works in your name? And Jesus said, be away with you because I never knew you. See, they were doing it. They knew it here. They didn't know it here. It didn't travel the 12 inches to get here. So that they knew in their hearts what they believed. It was all intellectual. They were going through the motions of religion. That's the problem with religion. Religion is man's way to reach God. Jesus is God's way to reach man. And we can have a relationship with him so that we can reach him. The eunuch then confesses and so he commanded the chariot to stand still and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. And now when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more 
and he went on his way rejoicing. Wow. So here's this. They go in and Philip baptizes them, brings them up and says, okay, you're baptized. Let's go. And he's gone. Now, if it happened while they were in the water, while he was baptizing him, and then all of a sudden Philip disappears while he's underwater, and he comes up and goes, what happened to that guy? He'd start looking for him, right? He, what, he drowned. No, he, they came out, and they, when they came out of the water, then he disappeared. It showed he was there, and then he disappeared. And now the eunuch can go away rejoicing. The eunuch may have said, was that an angel? No, it was Philip. But an angel. But you know what? That's cool. The spirit caught him up and he was gone. Now, I'm sure that the eunuch wanted Philip to stay to teach him more. Read me some more. Explain to me what this means. Explain to me what that means. He would have had his own personal pastor. And, you know, he, he probably would have given him lots of money. Follow him along. I'll, I'll bring you down. I'll bless you with all of this stuff. But see, then he would be taking his eyes off of Jesus and putting them on Philip. That's the problem I see in churches today with celebrity pastors. With People that worship a pastor and how a pastor teaches, what a pastor is saying. Now, I'm not saying that every pastor should be boring and dull. And, and that's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm just saying, don't place your faith in me. Don't place your confidence in me. Listen to what I'm teaching because I am pointing to Jesus in everything. If you enjoy my teaching, it's because... It's Jesus. It's because of the Holy Spirit. It's not because of me. Cheryl will tell you, you, you get me home, I'm a grump. But, you know, she won't tell you that because she, she's married to me. So she, she, But the truth of the matter is that I don't want to be the distraction. I don't want people to be looking at me because... You know, if I die tomorrow, I don't, oh, well, he's gone, so we'll have to find a new church. You know, you are the body of Christ, and that's family. You know, if one of the family members die, the family doesn't disband. You know, the family actually grows closer together to make up for the one that's gone. Well, Jesus is the glue that holds us all together. He's the atomic. It, it says in Colossians that he was the one that created all things. Everything is held together by him. He's the atomic glue that holds everything together. The Bible tells us that. So I trust it. So it says in verse 40, but Philip was found at Isotus. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Isn't that awesome? Bam! In Azotus, 
Then he goes up to Caesarea. He finally makes it to the place where he can hang out by the Sea of Galilee and get a little sun. But it's the fact that he was listening to the Holy Spirit. He listened to an angel. An angel sent him on the way. He walked all the way down to where the road to Gaza. He walked there. And then he gets raptured to Azotus. He gets picked up and dropped in Azotus. Why didn't the angel drop him on the road to Gaza in front of the chariot as he was coming? And then now, here, there's the chariot. Go. There was all the steps that he had to do to learn how to walk with the Lord, how to be faithful to what God was telling him to do. It's the same in our lives. We, we don't start at the pinnacle. We start at the bottom of the road and we keep going. And the Lord teaches us all along the way. And we can't get to this part without passing through this part. And sometimes this part is ugly. Sometimes this part brings pain. Sometimes there are trials that just we, we wish would end. But the Lord brings us through those things to get us to where we are today. Each one of us are where we are today because we've passed through all the trials to get here. We've passed through everything that's happened in our lives to get us to this point for God to use us for the next thing whatever it may be. As we close, we take away a few things from this. Philip was a believer in Jesus. And you could tell that he was a believer in Jesus by how he reacted. He, he wasn't being religious. He, that isn't what gets us to heaven. Being saved gets us to heaven. And he was saved. He was trusting in Jesus Christ. And he believed with all his heart. You can tell because his actions showed us that he believed like that. Number two, Philip listened to the angel who told him what to do. He didn't wait for further instructions. Okay, well, it's nice that I heard that, but what happens next? I, I know that that's quite a few uh, of our problem. We, we wait until we hear further what? No, go do the first step and then wait. And here, I used to wait for when the Lord called us up here to plant this church. I waited two years to come. And, you know, he gave me other things to do. And then after I was doing the other things, I said, oh, this is what you wanted me to do. He said, no, I told you to go up there. But you wanted to do other things. And so I gave you other things to do. Now you know how to go up there and do it. And, and he sent me. And, uh, you know, I, I was finally obedient. So sometimes it's not an angel. How many of you have had angels appear and tell you what to do? I know some of you may have. But sometimes it's not an angel. Sometimes it's another brother or sister in Christ. Sometimes... It's your spouse. 
that God may use to speak to you. And it's not that, you know, I heard from the Lord and this is what you're supposed to be doing. I don't necessarily mean like that. I mean that someone may share something with you and you sense that it's a stir of the spirit that's driving you in that direction. But a lot of times we're like, hold on, well, I need confirmation. Let me go get my fleece so I can put it outside, you know, and we, we want confirmation for everything. That's the world we live in today. Prove it. You know, fortunately, we have fact checkers that can tell us the truth all the time, right? Don't wait for a fact checker. Philip didn't question the Holy Spirit, and he didn't wait for further instructions. He did what the Spirit told him to do. And finally, number four, Philip was ready to give an answer to the questions that the eunuch had. He wasn't studying to give answers. He was ready to give an answer. That's what we're supposed to be doing also. We're supposed to be ready to give an answer for any question that comes up. But, well, that's not easy. I'm not a theologian. I didn't go to seminary. I don't know all these things. And, and so, but the answers are out there in this mystical place. No, the answers are here in the Bible. Okay, all of them are there. Every answer, if someone asks you a question, how many angels can sit on the head of a pin? Then you can say, well, pinhead, let me tell you. Don't say that. But you can say, that isn't important. Because if it was, God would have told us. But that's not important for us to know. So the important answers are here in the word of God. For the important questions. And that doesn't mean you have to study the Bible until you get everything perfect. You can, there are books out there that help people to just be prepared to give answers. Um, one of them that I can recommend is Charlie Campbell. He has a book called One Minute Answers to Skeptics. One-minute answer to skeptics, concise responses to the, 50, the top 50 questions and objections. And it's a great book. It helps people just get things down to simplicity. They're, people all have the same questions when they approach Christians for answers. They're always the same questions. They're worded a little differently. They come from a different angle. But Charlie Campbell got, got it down to 50. So, um, so I recommend that book. Once Philip completed the work that God sent him to do, God put him exactly where he wanted him to be. And that's the same for us. When we are faithful in the little, then he will use us to do more. He will direct us to where he wants us to be. And he will accomplish his purposes according to his plan not according to ours. Amen? 